Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we are here to question exactly the meaning of the phrase, boys will be boys. And our guest is Niobe Way, professor of applied psychology and the Department of Applied Psychology at New York University and author of Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships and the Crisis of Connection. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. Niobe, Deep Secrets reveals the ways in which we have been telling ourselves a false story about boys. What is that false story? Okay, well, basically, uh, the book is based on about 20 years of listening to boys. Uh, Actually, I started as a grad student at Harvard, uh, listening to boys as a high school counselor, and then began to do research over the past 20 years on boys' friendships and and listening to boys talk about their worlds. And what becomes obvious as you begin to listen to boys um, is that they don't sound like their stereotype. So the stereotype of boys is that they're, for example, they don't, they're not emotionally expressive, they're fairly inarticulate when it comes to talking about relationships, um, they don't particularly want intimate relationships, particularly with other boys, that's a girl thing. Um, and what we discovered in our research is really that that's, it's almost the exact opposite. Boys were incredibly articulate about their relationships and, and about their friendships, and were deeply emotionally expressive. Um, now this begins to change as they get into late adolescence, but I'll wait for the next question to follow up with that. Well, d- tell us a little bit about where does the stereotype of boys being not someone who shares, uh, wh- where does that come from? Yeah, well it's a great question. Um, it comes in some ways from there are certainly parts of, uh, as, as boys grow up to become men, that we think that that's what a real man uh, is as part of our definition of manhood is emotionally stoic, autonomous, independent, not not particularly you know needy or wanting of relationships, and so then we begin to see boys as we want to see them in terms of the definitions of manhood. We also do this funny thing. Uh, funny, I say that because it's it's not so funny, but it's it's an odd thing. Um, is that we equate emotions and emotional sensitivity with a sexuality, um, and so oftentimes uh, when you know, when we recognize our own son's sensitivity, for example, there'll be questions from other people saying, wondering whether your son, et cetera, is gay uh, because of their emotional expressiveness. So we've done this funny thing in the late 20th century of equating sensitivity and emotions with a, with a sexuality, and that makes it even more difficult to see boys in their genuine emotional selves. Tell us a little bit about the research that went into it. I know you said you started listening to boys here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education where you got your doctorate, but how do you actually listen to them? What are the questions you ask them, and who are these boys you're talking to? Okay, so we, uh, uh, when I say we, by the way, I'm talking about my graduate students and I have been following boys. What we do is, uh, I'm a developmental psychologist, so I start following boys usually around 11, 12, 13, and then I follow the same set of boys over many, many years, so over five, six, seven years. Um, and listen to their stories. And by listening to their stories, what I mean is we ask a whole set of questions. We usually ask questions about all aspects of their lives, their families, their schools, their friends. And then what we began to note in these interviews about asking all aspects of their lives was the prevalence and the dominance of friendships and the importance of friendships for boys. And again, as I said, the sort of acute emotional sensitivity that boys were expressing when they talked about their friendships. 
Tell us a little bit about what you mean by title of your book. You say crisis of connection. Okay. This is not a boy crisis. It's a crisis of connection. What do you mean That's by that? That's right. Okay. So basically the second part of the findings that we've uh, noted over the past 10, 15 years is as, as boys reach late adolescence, as they reach manhood, they start to sound very differently. They actually start to sound like the gender stereotypes we hear about them. You actually hear the emotional words disappear. So <laughs> that sounds like a funny thing to say. You hear it disappear, but you see it disappear. Can you give an example yeah. of this? Yeah. So, so in, the, in the early years of the interviews in, say, middle school and early parts of high school, you hear a lot of boys referring to their best friends with words such as love, um, you know, uh, feeling lost without them, a lot of a really deeply vulnerable emotional words when they describe their best friendships. When they talk about their close friendships, when you ask them about their close friendships in late adolescence, they say things like either I'm not gay or I don't have any close friendships. Um, you don't hear words of love, you don't hear these emotional vulner you know, vulnerable, vulnerable words. Um, in their in their narratives, um, and then what you also begin to hear, which is remarkable, is you also begin to hear a lot of expressions of feeling isolated. Um, and the, about the time that we hear boys, their emotional language decline is also exactly the time that nationwide statistics indicate that boys' suicide rates jumps up to become four times the rate of girls. So it's exactly at that age, 16, 17, when the suicide rate jumps up for boys that we actually hear it in their stories, their isolation, their sense of yearning for these previously close friendships that they no longer can have. That now, interestingly enough, they give different reasons for not being able to have them, like they don't have time, they have a girlfriend, they work, they have a lot of schoolwork. But if you hear their uh, if you hear the full story, you hear them also refer to the fact that they're not gay, that they're making an equation in their heads between having close friendships and the kinds of identities that they don't want to they don't want to be connected with. Um, so I think there's a whole nother deeper story going on there. So, so though that's your research, and, and what have you found can help prevent this isolation in boys in later adolescence? What okay. is there a takeaway in your book that, as a parent, what can you do to help facilitate a boy's emotional development? Right. The, the main thing that I think parents can do, teachers can do, professionals can do, brothers and sisters can do, is help foster the deep emotional and social skills that boys are born with and that they come in, into the world with. And so it's about allowing at the dinner table discussions about relationships, about friendships, asking your sons about those relationships, sharing your own friendships um, and the own dynamics of your friendships uh, with your sons. Um, teachers making um, sort of discussion of relationships a part of the curriculum in different forms. There's been lots of interventions across the country where they actually try to bring in, uh, you know, discussions about friendships and in the context of the anti-bullying campaigns, um, friendships, and that has really fostered a, a better climate for boys, a, a way to actually have relationships and basically keep them connected to their emotional and social skills. So your book came out very recently. What have been the reactions? What are people saying about it? Yeah, well, it's actually been incredibly gratifying because it's funny when you work on something. I've been working on this for about 20 years, um, and then you have the book come out, and and you have people writing me letters. I have letters from England, from India, from all over the United States. I have people stopping me on the street when they recognize my face. 
um, saying how much that my work is talking about them or talking about their sons or talking about their brothers or their husbands. Um, and and how I had a, someone come up to me yesterday and say that she's reading it with her husband because her husband said that it really touched on exactly the issue that he struggled with all his life. Um, so it's been very, very gratifying to see people respond really strongly to the messages. And I've also been particularly gratified to see men from India and England as well respond so powerfully. And I think there's something much larger going on about how we shut boys down as they enter manhood in terms of what is naturally uh, a need and a capacity in boys. What piqued your interest in this field of research? Did you come to the ed school with eight brothers or something? <laughs> no, I do have two brothers who did influence me tremendously. So I was influenced by my two brothers, Justin and Lucan, um, uh, who both went to Harvard, by the way. Um, uh, and I, but really what interested me is I was a high school counselor in the late 80s, um, and I counseled boys. and. It was clear from the very beginning of, begin of starting to counsel boys that there was a story going on here about the way boys talked about their worlds, about wh what was important to them, that really was missing from the scholarly literature, that was really missing from the popular culture. Um, and by the way, there's certainly a story out there about boys and buddies and the need for buddies. Um, but I'm really talking about something very different than buddies. I'm not, I'm not talking about just someone who young men go out have, and have a drinking buddy with and go out and hang out. I'm really talking about the deep depth um, you know, friendships that boys talk about where they share their secrets and they talk about emotional problems and they really try to, uh, they're really connected together. And those are the kinds of friendships that early and middle adolescence adolescent boys are having and they begin to lose as they enter late adolescence. So does your research in this sort of field end with the book or what's next for you? Or are you going to continue looking deeper and deeper into uh, adolescent boys? Uh, what's next for you? Naomi? Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because I realize that this book is actually starting to be part of a larger movement in the social and natural sciences um, that David Brooks actually from the New York Times talks about. He calls it the new humanism that's starting in different fields, neuroscience, biological sciences, um, anthropological, uh, evolutionary anthropology, where they're really talking about our how we are as humans, empathic, cooperative, relational, and that's what allowed us to thrive as a species. So my work fits right nicely into that. And so my next step is to really think about if we begin to reconceptualize what we mean by being human, and what, certainly what we mean by being male, but also what we mean by being human, and that the essence of, of our humanity is our empathic nature. Um, then it, it has implications, I would argue, for educational policy, for social policy, for family policy, even for economics, um, in terms of thinking about who we are as humans and what allows us to thrive in the world. Naomi, where can people get the book? Okay. Uh, you can buy it at any bookstore. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon.com, of course. It's called Deep Secrets, Boys' Friendships and the Crisis of Connection. As a former boy, Niobe, thank you very much for all your good work. Thank you very much. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.